Hi, you're listening to the Queensland Theatre Quality Time podcast. Let me set the scene. New theatres are an exciting rarity. When one is built, it's so important that it's carefully designed to meet the needs of both artists and audiences alike. Comfy theatre seats are an absolute must-have. A loading bay that's actually big enough for sets is also kind of vital. Every aspect of the theatre needs careful consideration. From acoustics and ventilation, all the way down to the custom grooves we have in the bio box desks so pencils don't clatter to the floor in the middle of dramatic silences. Today, Lee Lewis is joined by our technical manager, Daniel Madison, to discuss his role in future-proofing the design of the Bill Brown Theatre during its construction in 2018. Enjoy! My name is Lee Lewis and I'm the Artistic Director here at Queensland Theatre. Now, you've been on quite a journey with Queensland Theatre over the last few months as the theatres have been closed, but now the theatres are open. Very safely, very carefully, but open nevertheless. And we're back on stage at Queensland Theatre sharing great stories with Queensland audiences. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing these because we've had this wonderful opportunity to get to know all the people who work in the company and to, I suppose, widen out our understanding of what it takes to make theatre and what it takes to have a theatre company to to share with our audiences here at the Bill Brown Theatre. Well, not here at the Bill Brown Theatre, I'm actually in a rehearsal room today. So coming out of a very strange time and heading into the next very strange time, I'm not going to call it the new normal, it is my very great pleasure to welcome the next person in our conversation about what Queensland Theatre is. Hello, Dan. Hello, it's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Excellent. Now, you're going to introduce yourself to the audience and uh, tell them your actual title because often I haven't done that because I don't know what people's titles are. I know what functions they are, uh, but not the actual, uh, what label we've put on the work that they do in a, in a company. So take it away, Dan. So, hi, I'm Dan, I'm the technical manager here at Queensland Theatre. Um, I've been with the company for 13 years now. Over that time, I started as tech coordinator and just recently, in fact, at the beginning of the year, um, have uh, gained the title of tech manager. Okay. As a director, in my head, I hear tech manager and I'm like, you're the go-to person for everything when it comes to making things work. It's a pretty good assumption, yes. (laughs) So you'd be my starting point. As soon as I have a complicated idea that is something maybe we haven't done before, a scale which is not normally what we do, something that's maybe dangerous, something where I need technical advice as to whether I'm crazy or whether there might be a problem solved that could make it happen, I turn up at your desk and I say, hey, Dan, what happens to you when you hear, hey, Dan? Uh, look, it's always a good thing, um, but there's always a little nervousness and a little thing in the back of your brain that goes, uh-oh, here we go. But certainly that's when, for me, uh, when you develop something like that, really R&D is probably key, uh, depending on if we have or haven't done it before. So uh, an example of that was probably what we did with the pendant droppers for our production of Hydra, where we actually had to get uh, lighting components through the aperture of the tension net, which is quite small. So we ended up developing a mechanism to uh, 
basically lower uh, and raise uh, lighting pendants, which would go through the tension wire net in the Bill Brown studio. And there was over 20 of them in the end, and we were able to control the position of them and the height uh, through the lighting console. And now I know you can do this. Yeah, so that was one of those uh, those moments where you go, how are we going to achieve this? Uh, can we do it with the budget allocated? Uh, and how do we do it uh, with the time that we've got available? Yeah, right. So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit because, of course, uh, when you say tension net, yes. some theatres know what that is and some yes. theatres will never know. Now, a tension net is a, a relatively new piece of equipment that has been installed in newer theatres, yes. which is essentially exactly what it is, a high tension net, yes. a metal net that is strung over the whole stage space and we hang the lights above it. So essentially it stops people having to go up and down in ladders to put lights up and any equipment up in the air. Absolutely. But... In having this new piece of equipment, there are constraints around it that are not necessarily obvious until a director comes to you and says, I've got this great concept where we lower something and we do this and you go, okay, we've got to figure it out and we haven't done it before. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and really uh, the main thing, as you said, it's it's a high, it's made up of three mil flexible steel wire rope segments that are basically woven in situ. Uh, so when we did the renovation of Bill Brown, uh, they came in with a, a series of uh, bundles of this flexible steel wire rope and they had to be installed and woven one on top of the other to make it happen. Right. Um, but then in order to support the amount of weight that's required, our particular that can support four people over a section at any one point in time. The squares themselves are only 70 mil by 70 mil. So we have to actually look if anything needs to go underneath and be suspended from above, how that's actually going to work yeah, right. to make sure that it fits through the gap. So on the total tourist side of this conversation, yes. what it means is I can walk out over the space over the theatre and it look, feels like I'm standing on nothing. That's right. It's kind of really freaky. Yes. Of course, I'm not allowed to do that. Only especially... Only uh, those who have been inducted. Yes, inducted people can do that. And there are obviously limits around doing that safely. But it's an innovation that has saved a lot of time in getting into and out of the theatre. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. If you look at the studio setup that we had, um, say, for example, a standard bump-in, we would normally take around a day to rig all the fixtures whether it be lighting, sound, projection, for example. And then after that, we'd probably spend another eight hours focusing a standard lighting rig in the Bill Brown studio. Now, with the theatre set up and with what the tension net gives us, we can actually do a lighting focus on average in around three hours. Which gives me so much more time to uh, do everything else. Indeed. But does throw certain challenges up. And it is also a very different aesthetic experience in the theatre, I find. Yes. It changes it... The, the shape of the ceiling, which most people don't think they look at. Mm. But that's where we, where we hang all of our ugly pieces of equipment that create the beautiful light and sound. And audiences over the years have become very good at ignoring that ceiling. Indeed. But now with a neat ceiling, it's a whole different challenge. It is a whole different challenge. And look, it's something that we were very conscious of from the get-go. So what we did uh, at the time when we were talking about putting in a tension net uh, is we put, uh, took all the key stakeholders uh, to the Empire Theatre in Toowoomba and we actually uh, showed them what it would look like. So for example, they had a rig up at the time we turned it all on and said, this is an example of what you will see. So lighting beams casting through the net um, and exactly, as you said, having 
having an audience looking up at those beams. Now for us, obviously it's, it's the studio or the theatre space is now not as large as, as some of the, the grids that are out there, but we're very conscious and make things as neat as we possibly mm-hmm. can during the bump in phase mm-hmm. to make sure that when the audience do look up uh, and see that whole technical world up there, that it's as neat as it possibly can be and that they maintain their focus down on stage where they should. It is a very neat theatre. It's one of the lovely things about a new theatre. It has got all the chips and bumps and, yes. you know, the, the and the ghosts. Yeah. It's, it's a new one. Maybe a little bit of a ghost well, of Well, there, there may Brown. be one, yes, Brown, particularly around, with yes. uh, certain something embedded inside a wall. Oh, right, yeah, mm. yeah, we're not going to talk about that, <laughs> no. <laughs> but you've had the very the unique experience of being in a company for the creation of a new main stage theatre. Yes. And in the scheme of the country, that doesn't happen very often. Not at all. Um, so what was that like? When the like when did the idea first start that there should be a, a theatre on site here at the company? Well, look, it was always uh, something that had been discussed uh, in the 13 years that I've been here. Um, and it was only well, probably around five, six years ago that uh, the wheels really started to, to gain motion. Uh, and for me, it was incredibly exciting and certainly an opportunity that I will always value. And as you said, it's not something that you get to do in your career. So certainly for me, uh, looking at uh, highlights, it's it's one of those things that uh, I will always value. But I remember talking to one of the key contractors. Um, they said, you've got a, a really huge responsibility here because you want to make sure that you don't end up with a lemon. Um, oh. And it, it was... It was daunting, to tell you the honest truth. Well, because theatre people are pretty brutal about spaces. We all know the ones that are lemons. We're stuck with them and we've got to make things work in them. But they're not... They're not the places that you long to work in. Yeah, indeed. And we wanted one which people really, where the artists of Brisbane really want to work in that yeah, space. Yeah, that's right? right. So for me, it was about taking all the things uh, that we'd learnt from working uh, specifically in the studio, because in essence, it is the same shell uh, that we're oh, working in. it's nothing in. like it. I don't know what you've done, but I worked in that, uh, in you the, did, uh, the old space. Yes. And the, the transformation is nothing short of magical. Uh, I'm going to say that. Yeah, and that's without that's a good thing. <laughs> so I was very conscious of, of that, obviously, and making sure that uh, we took those learnings from working in the old space, working at some of the venues, uh, both interstate and around town, and making sure that uh, we, we had what we wanted, not only for now, but also going into the future as well. So all the cabling, for example, we made sure that that was up to date, but also future-proofed for make sure we didn't have to rip it out in you know years to come. We want to make sure that it's going to see us well into the future. You actually invented quite a, a couple of little things inside that space too, didn't you, where there, there wasn't a piece of equipment that actually met the needs, so you were able to work to create something that worked exactly for the Bill Brown space. Yeah, so there was, being a corner stage configuration, there was quite a, a few key learnings uh, that we found. We had to work with key suppliers. One in particular one is the sound system. In order to get ample coverage with headroom that would be sufficient for the variety of, of things we do down in the space, we wanted to make sure that A, uh, it didn't pitch on sight lines massively, B, we 
we're aware that the, the speakers themselves had to be under the net. And C, we're aware that most things, uh, units that were sold on the market that were of a reputable brand were quite large in size. So we actually worked with key stakeholders and one in particular who was willing to come along the journey with us. And we developed a custom brackets for the front of house left, centre and right speakers. And they enabled us to rotate those speakers and instead of hanging vertically, they now hang horizontally in order to get the coverage required given the corner stage configuration. And that was one of those things that we, bespoke things that we did in order to adapt with the space that we had to work with. Yeah. Is that, okay, secret question. Yes. No one's going to hear this. <laughs> no, no one. <laughs> Is there anything in the theatre where you went, oh, didn't think of that? That's a good question. <laughs> um, there might not be anything. There's nothing that immediately springs to mind. Yeah, well, that's good because they're terrible stories. And they're like theatre stories where people have talked about building new spaces. And then there's one in particular where they realised that all the doors onto the stage space were regular size doors. They couldn't get set pieces in. So they had to bring in their sets through the auditorium and load them onto the stage through the auditorium. Yeah. You go, yeah. Ooh, missed that. No, look, we, we knew uh, about several of the things in advance. Well, um, all those and, stories too. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one thing in particular is the, the height. A lot of people don't realise that the roof of the theatre slopes. So when you get to the Maryvale Street side of the building, if you're standing on the tension net, for me, I'm very close to being down on my knees when I'm working there. Yeah. And so with maintaining the maximum capacity, um, which was uh, 351 seats, mm -hmm. in order to achieve that while maximising our stage space with uh, the likes of uh, Melbourne and Sydney mm -hmm. venues, then we've had to allow for the, the rake of the seats that we have. And in order to do that without taking the roof off, we've had to basically maximise the height of the tension net and therefore... Sacrifice uh, the knees uh, of the people. Heads, headspace up there. <laughs> when you're walking from one side to the other. Right, okay. So that's one of those things where if, if I could have, I would have taken the roof off and certainly given us more, more headroom, but we knew about that. Yeah. So, But it's still one of those things where you go, if we could have, we would have. And it'll be a, a quirk in the history of the theatre. You'll just like, you know, whenever whenever it is that you decide that you, you're not going to be here anymore, you're going to have to hand that piece of information on. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. The interesting thing for me, when a theatre is built in very close consultation with the people who actually make theatre are these little details that make life so much better but you wouldn't you wouldn't know unless you, someone pointed out to you. There's this amazing desk up in the bio box and having people who have operated shows before being involved in the design, you were able to make a desk that is actually much more user-friendly for people that in the operators spend their working lives in these small rooms. Absolutely. And there's just this little detail that means that your, your pencils don't roll off the desk. Yes. Now that seems like not a huge thing, but when you're trying to actually be very quiet, you know, you're in the same space essentially as the audience. You have to be so that you're hearing the same sound and you're operating out of all this equipment. A pencil falling off a desk can be quite loud in a beautiful moment. It and can. then there's a person going, oh. And so just a little lip on that desk saves a whole lot of pain for years and years and years. Yeah, and absolutely. you'll never know, nope. apart from the fact that it's proof that Involving people who make theatre in the design of all our theatres is incredibly necessary. It doesn't seem like it from an architect's point of view, but little things like that really enhance 
our capacity to deliver a perfect show to an audience. A show can be perfect until a pencil drop That's in right. a buy box. And it's all about those little details. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, yeah, it's imperative. And it's interesting in a time when we haven't been in the theatres and where there's been a lot of conversation about, oh, maybe you can go outside, do shows outside, and the conversations that we're starting to have about that or how in the future we should be thinking about that more. Over the years, we've built up these, these extraordinary theatre spaces where we can deliver virtuosic performance in a very controlled environment so that little details of story can be apparent to audience. Now, you take that outside mm. and you've got planes overhead and you've got traffic and you've got people who wander through and suddenly that work has to be a lot more robust, if yes, you like, yes. what's on stage. So for me, I suppose the lip on the desk of the buyer box speaks a lot about the kind of experience that a high-end in-theatre show can be. I mean, we're starting to talk about this outdoor venue. Yes, indeed. Um, what that can be. Yes. Uh, who knows if it's going to actually happen in the next year or so. That's still dependent on what the country's experience with COVID is. Yes. But it's the beginning of a next conversation that's only possible because we have this venue. That's right. If we didn't have this venue, we wouldn't be able to launch a season. We wouldn't be able to plan for next year. And we'd be we'd be really pushing go on that outdoor venue, I reckon. We, we would, absolutely. <laughs> but even the thought of building a new space is something that we can consider because you've already built this one. Yes. So different challenge. Different one. I'm yeah. open to challenges. I love a good challenge. <laughs> At the same time as going, oh, we want to be doing this next year with these plays, you know. So it's when you were 12, 13, thinking about your future life, did you think you'd end up here? To be honest, no. I had a very keen interest in gardening from a very young age. Um, I was always out in the garden and I actually wanted to be a landscape architect. Ah, okay. Um, and uh, that was, I always said that to, to my mum. And uh, so it wasn't until high school where I was very lucky. Uh, the high school I went to was equipped for a very well, a very good auditorium uh, and technical facilities. And once I got there, uh, I saw what the technicians were doing from grade eight and uh, something just clicked. Yeah. And I said, that's what I want to do. And from that point on, uh, I was part of the lighting and sound program that we had. And of course, that was the start of my passion for what I am still doing today. Yeah. So. Oh, I was actually kind of boggled because I'm like, there's nothing more opposite than a life yeah. outside yeah. in the landscape architect Correct. world. But they're probably that question of what that light and sound space. And now, of course, it includes projection. Yes. The complexity of that, the detail of that, and the shaping of an environment in in order to tell a story is probably not unconnected on some level. No, I, I really hadn't thought about it like that before, but absolutely. Again, where instincts inside your brain take you in yeah. life is kind of fascinating. But it's interesting, isn't it, when you find the thing that interests you about theatre and storytelling early? Mm. I always feel really lucky too. Yeah. Oh, couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, As opposed lucky. to kind of coming to it later, it's harder because, again, every, every show you do, every year you spend every theatre you work in, it's just more and more information. Yes to allow for a really free exploration of an idea. Yeah, and look, certainly going from high school and then straight into university where I knew what my passion was and what I wanted to do, I then ostensibly landed in my dream job. Yeah, so, right. And, you know, it's couldn't be happier. <laughs> 
Yeah, look, it is that funny thing of dream job and what that can mean. It can mean you over overwork, hideously, yes, dream yes, jobs. Indeed. Yeah, if you actually like what you do, you do end up working stupidly more than you should. Yes, you do, and life balance goes out the window. Out the window, but, you know, for periods of time, it's true. It's, it, yep. I mean, a tech week, which is probably like the peak of intensity around what it is to get a show on stage is yes. your world. Yes, that's right. All of the work, you know, in the weeks leading, the months of planning leading up to that, it all comes down to about one week yes. that we have to get into the yeah, theatre. Exactly. And that's sort of, re- regardless of whether it's two people, one person standing on stage or 20 people, you've still got one week. That's right. So sometimes it gets quite nuts. It, it does. Yeah, and you're right. And there's something in you, again, maybe if you find it early, you get immune to it, if you like. I think that's a good this, way of putting it. <laughs> well, because you kind of go, there's a week in your in your schedule where you know you're going to be working about a 16-hour day. Yeah. It's about that. Yeah, it is about that. Take. Yeah. And you've got to be built for it. Yes. And there are some people who are not. Yeah, it's not for everyone. No, because it's that funny thing when you know you're not getting a huge amount of sleep, but you're still having to work in very careful ways and around a lot of other people who are not getting a lot of sleep. So there are personalities who thrive in that space where you can still maintain a level of good communication (laughs) and decorum. Yes. But it's interesting, isn't it, how you find that in your life and how you learn if you do like it. If you don't like it, you you, you probably would have found that out in high school. Yeah, well, probably more so university. I mean, we didn't certainly didn't do the hours that uh, we did at uni. No, but you do learn about the stress of a show at at high school. You can't, like, because a show is always stressful. More so because you're cobbling things together with anything you can find. Yeah, (laughs) and getting away with it is fun. Indeed, it is yeah. fun. But then, but then, like the more professional the work gets, the more pressure there is That's on right. that week. Yes, and the harder it is to deliver what you promised. Yes. So yeah, it does. The pressure gets greater. Probably it's, not the challenge, like because it's proportionate to your knowledge, yeah, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. But what's the biggest thing you've put? Like, what's the biggest show you've worked on insofar as just sheer ridiculous scale in that same week? Look. Here at Queensland Theatre, um, I would have to say Ladies in Black. Right, okay. Um, so that was epic in every sense. Uh, it had three revolves uh, that were all connected to one system. Uh, it had a live band on stage. It was yeah, lighting rig uh, which had to be designed for touring around the country, uh, which we did very successfully. Then, of course, uh, the sound rig uh, to boot and obviously um, match the, the band on on stage with all that's involved in that. Um, so it, it was massive, um, but it's something I will always be very proud of that result. Uh, and it was just one of those shows that you will never forget. And there's some directors too that can pull off that kind of work it, it, and make you love working on it at the same it, time. And I have to say Simon Phillips is one. Uh, I 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. And he was a real joy to work with. And look, I remember plotting some of those automation sequences uh, in the early hours of the morning and just looking at what could be pulled off with everything come together and integrating. It was just phenomenal. It really was. And as I said, it's one of those things you'll just never forget. Yeah, and it's one of those things too where a director has pulled off something where a whole company is proud of the work and the audience has loved it. And and so when I say as an artistic director, I'm thinking about Simon Phillips for next year, you can tell when they're that kind of director because everybody lights up with possibility. Everybody knows they'd be going into a crazy work cycle. Yes. But there's a delight in that. Yeah. 
again, that thing of, oh, what could we pull off this time? You know, because it's always about that, isn't it? We never have enough resources. We never have enough time. There's never enough money, right? It's the nature of theatre in Australia. But it's about what you can pull together with what you do have in order to get the best result with the best production values possible. So, And sometimes it's not about a high-end solution. Sometimes it's a really lo-fi solution. And you find yourself doing the thing that you did when you were in high school. Exactly. Which you thought... Oh my God! It's like it's amazing in high school. It's yeah. still amazing. Indeed. Little tricks, yep. little, little tricks. tricks, and you know, I don't know. I, I talk about like the Rolodex inside my head, which which actually is a reveal of how old I am, because I say that to like sixteen year olds, and they go, "What's a Rolodex?" But uh, for those of you who don't know, it used to be like literally the card system with all of your contacts and all of your ideas in it. And you used to have these things in a box. Indeed. And now I have it in my head. Yeah. I kind of go, "Oh yeah, I remember doing something like that." Yeah. Little tricks. I mean when you're talking about things coming from the sky and I'm looking at this tension net, one of the things I love, one of the old tricks that I love is just a straight Dropbox. Yes. I love things falling from the sky. And just with a piece of rope and a pin hinge. Yep, and you pull the rope yep. and it tips yeah. a box. And away it goes. And whatever's in the box falls down on the yeah. audience. But I'm like, part of the thing is you can usually hide a Dropbox up among all the lighting fixtures. Yes. Now I'm like, oh, the tension net. I'm like, yes. oh, how do I hide my Dropbox? You know, it's like so again. That's where we start to integrate things like solenoids and what have you, and those little tricks that uh, can assist there. Yeah. yeah, that question of if I want a rain rig, do I make it rain above the grid? That would be below the grid. Isn't below that? the grid. Yes. Okay, but then I can see it, so I know mm. it's going to rain. So yeah. how do I conceal it? These then? are all these things we'd have to look at. Okay, yes. all right. <laughs> but you see, on some level. The invention, the challenge, the invention, and then the successfully pulling things off, that's actually the, that's the real fun of the theatre. Yeah. Yes. And then seeing the audience not notice all of that and just see the magic of the moment with the actor on stage. Yeah, I remember um, my wife coming to see a, an early show that I put on uh, and uh, we spoke afterwards uh, once the curtain had come down and I, I was very excited about everything that we'd done and I was talking to her and I said, oh, did you see this particular effect? And she goes, no, I, I didn't notice it, but I saw the end result. Yeah, and so you, yes. That's exactly correct. Yeah. So if for me now, it's if I've done my job correctly, then really the audience shouldn't be looking at the mechanics of it. They yeah. should just see the end result. This reminds me of a, a conversation in the, Frozen, the making of Frozen documentaries. <laughs> yes. Yes. One of the animators was talking about go, taking her family to see it and she's responsible for one little bit in the animation where Elsa runs up and, there's, and reaches and she was responsible for the running and she's like... You know, and she'd spent years of her life making yeah. that thing yeah. so natural that no one notices the animation. All they're seeing is a young girl running and sliding on some ice. And yeah. you kind of go, she gave her life to do that. Yes. And the fact that it works means that no one notices it. Exactly. They're just seeing the story yes. and feeling the emotion. And you kind of go, that's the space, which no one sees. Mm. It's kind of invisible and it's meant to be invisible. Yeah, correct. I mean, I recall at the start of the year um, with Emerald City uh, and the couch that we put on to the centre of the Revolve, a lot of people don't realise the work it took to get that to spin independently to the main Revolve itself. And I was having a conversation with David Walters, the lighting designer, and he was talking to several of the audience members and they said, the couch spun? <laughs> Once, once again. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like there's a club of secret high fives <laughs> that happen where we kind of go, yes, we pulled it off, no one noticed it. We just want people to see the moment, That's the human exactly moment right. with the story yeah. as opposed to like the featured revolving, the, yeah. the revolving couch. Yes, and we're concerned about it being a degree out and going we have to resolve that whereas it's, yeah. 
people it can even get, see it spin. Exactly right. You, that's exactly the space where I love the, 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 the work, that working space with you. Oh, I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, as am I. <laughs> uh, and it is kind of, it is lovely to be back in a space where we are problem solving for shows, yeah. not for can we do theatre at all? Because that's been the conversation for this year really yes, is how do we safely move, yeah. bring people back into the space, take care of people. And there are some fascinating conversations around the world yeah. as to how we make our spaces safer. There's a really interesting conversation happening with American Repertory Theatre. Uh, they've got a relationship with Harvard and with the architecture department there about innovations in right. making spaces like public spaces safer and looking at that you kind of go that's a great conversation that's come out of uh, out of this time because obviously having been punched in the gut by it this time we can see a world where it can happen again mm. so how do we prepare for that how do we build our spaces that uh, that allow people to operate in it so that we don't have to shut down with quite the same extremity that yes. we've had this time yeah. so that's been our conversation this year but i am looking forward to making some plays with you dan i can't wait <laughs> i can't wait i suppose i wanted to say if you were a person maybe say a young person in your teens sitting at home and listening to this what things what skills what interests would you say sit at the core of what you do that make you happy in the work that you do? Look, if you're finding yourself from an early age starting to dabble in electronics, for example, which I did for yeah. you know many hours and you find yourself uh, you know listening to to music and starting to do that type of thing um, and starting to look at lighting sounds in if you're watching shows for example and starting to focus on those which I have a bad habit of doing uh, <laughs> when I sit in the theatre that's something certainly I would I would look at and rather than going to the acting side start to look at maybe a world in behind the scenes yeah so it's that funny thing of coming together story and then an an interest in in technically how things work. Correct. Yeah, that, absolutely. Actually, that, that instinct can marry in the theatre space Definitely. in a really good way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah because you being invisible yes, to is. the audience is part of the problem <laughs> in how do we make sure that people trip over the idea early yeah. that this is actually a world that could be an incredibly inventive life for them. Yeah. Because what I see happening is the theatre evolving and changing. And so it's being ready for that kind of change and be like having a skill set that allows you to kind of go, well, I mean, again, 10 years ago, projection was not something that you'd expect in every show. Yeah, now correct. it's become something that we kind of are ready for at every point. Yeah, that's right. But that's been a whole layer of technology that you've just had to quite naturally absorb. Yeah, right? that's right. And it's not only projection now, LED screens and it, it, you only have to look at what we achieved with Fangirls. Oh, my God, Fangirls, those screens. Yes. It was um, extraordinary. And the, the show was, was ostensibly based around the, those screens and that was uh, for the most part, part of the set. And it was just phenomenal with what you could, uh, you know, and how you could assist with telling the story with the technology. Yeah. So, but yes, AV uh, and certainly um, with the increased digital technologies, uh, it's... Now, yeah, the thing that the I'm the really quite excited, excited about, about is, did you see the, the New Year celebrations in China? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. So, you know, everybody around the world has the, the fireworks. Yes. No, they had a drone ballet. I... To, yes, I did see that. Yeah. Actually, I didn't realise that was for their New Year celebrations. New Year. And right. so there was this whole section and you kind of, we're seeing a lot more of coordinated drone choreography and I kind of, there are quite big difficulties about putting drones over the heads of people at the moment. We're there still, are, yes. But it has been done over the stage though. 
Yes. Mm. And I'm starting to like the, the question of the relationship of drone technology into into vision. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what that does because I kind of went, oh, drones, that could be part of the story. Now I'm excited. <laughs> I know, right? So you start gathering pieces of information about what the, what's been done in other parts of the world and, you, and ideas starts to form and then you start to go, oh, let's get ready for that because it's coming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So again, it's that thing 10 years from now, what you do in the day to day, some things will be the same. Some things, again, will still be the lo-fi, you know, thousands of year old theatre solve. Well, you only have to look at how things developed in the past 10 years. When mm. I first started here, we were still doing sound playback via CD and minidisc, whereas now, uh, as you know, it's all computer-based. Yeah. So, and that's just in the space of 10 years. And in that time, that means sound design has become much more related to film sound design than it was to what old theatre sound yeah, design yeah. cues would be. Yeah. So we're starting to get scores, essentially. Yeah, so enormous correct. amounts of sound yes. coming into the, the theatre space. Yeah. So 10 years from now, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I am going to look forward to making it with you, Dan. I look forward to it as well. <laughs> Yay! Uh, I'm looking forward to the next conversation about what it is to make theatre at Queensland Theatre. And I'm looking forward to hearing from audiences what your experience of the, of the plays we have on stage is and what it's like to come back into the theatre space, what worries you, what excites you and what you're looking forward to in next year's season. Thanks so much for listening to Quality Time. Please rate and review it and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter at QLD Theatre. You can visit our website, queenslandtheatre.com.au to sign up to our e-news and learn more about the stories we'll be sharing next. We can't wait to see you at the theatre again soon. Bye.